0: On the problem with pride, here is Pastor John Randall. What a dangerous thing it is to walk in pride, to falsely assume that we have it together, to think that because of the power of our prayer life or the consistency of our church attendance or our devotional life that is so deep or our apologetic prowess that this is why God works in our lives. A person who walks in pride will receive nothing from the Lord. Pride is blinding. It is destructive, and the devil is what he is because of pride. That is why I believe the Bible says it's one thing that God hates, and that is pride.
1: This is A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. Glad you've joined us today as Pastor John discusses once again a very important part of a Christian's life, prayer. When we're conversing with another person, they might take it as an insult if we repeated the same thing over and over to them, but not so with God. He delights to hear our requests, and not just one and done. Often, we lack the persistence in prayer that's needed. We're to keep praying in faith until we hear the answer. Here's Pastor John, beginning with a cross-reference in the epistle of James. You remember
0: in the book of James, James wrote concerning those who would ask God for wisdom in prayer. He said, ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave on the sea tossed by the wind. And let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-minded man and he is unstable in all of his ways. When I pray, I need to believe that God is listening and that God will answer according to his will. Even if that's not what I think he's going to do, he will do what is best. And so I pray in faith. I think of Elijah remember when Elijah in first Kings 18 was up on Mount Carmel and after he had called down fire from heaven and the sacrifice was consumed. And then all of the prophets of Baal, those false prophets were slain. After that, it says that Elijah got down on his knees and he began to pray and he prayed specifically for rain. It had been three years. The first time he prayed, it didn't rain. And now it's three plus years later, he gets down on his knees and he starts praying for rain. And the Bible tells us that he spoke to his servant and he told his servant, go and look toward the sea. And the servant went and looked and he came back and said, there's nothing. And it says seven times, he said to his servant, go again, go again, go again. I wonder if his servant thought, you know, Elijah, um, It's been five times. You know, I think we ought to just call it a day. Maybe it'll rain another day. But he keeps on praying. It's the fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And so a seventh time he goes up and the servant comes back and he says, I see in the distance a cloud as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And Elijah then said to his servant, go up. And say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. That's faith. He didn't stop the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, until God answered. This morning you may be praying about something. And who knows that whether you're in the third or fourth or fifth, sixth, and then you stop. But how do you know if you didn't persevere that God would have answered? Continue praying and pray In faith. I think of the New Testament. You remember when Peter in Acts chapter 12, after James had been martyred, that Herod stretched out his hand to persecute the church and he put Peter in prison. Peter was sentenced to die the very next day. And there, as he was in that prison cell, he fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, unbeknownst to him, the church was gathered in a home and they were praying fervently and consistently for Peter to be delivered. And you remember that while Peter was sleeping, an angel appeared to him in his cell and woke him up and then led him out of the prison miraculously. And then Peter went to the home where the prayer meeting was taking place. And when he knocked on the door, the servant girl whose name was Rhoda came to the door and she didn't even open it. She ran back into the prayer room and said, Peter's outside. The same Peter they're praying for. And they said, You're beside yourself. Doesn't sound like a lot of faith going on at that prayer meeting, right? (laughs) And then finally they came out and saw Peter standing there. God had answered their prayers, even though they didn't even have a faith, faith enough to believe it. That's the grace of God at work. What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? What are you praying about? May God help us to be a people that persevere in prayer and not lose heart and trust that whatever answer the Lord gives, he will ultimately fulfill his purposes for my good and for his glory. Jesus then speaks now about prayer and another element that must be found in our prayers, and that is humility. Look at what it says in verse 9. Also, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As these two men went up to the temple to pray. Jesus tells this parable, and he is again drawing a contrast, and the theme of this parable is concerning those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and at the same time, they despised everybody else that they deemed unrighteous. Among the religious leaders, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, prayer became a ritual. The practice of prayer was extremely mechanical The words that were used were not heartfelt. They were memorized. They could be repeated quickly, over and over again, vainly repeated. That is why Jesus said, when you pray, don't use vain repetition. Don't do that. They also had prescribed prayers that they had developed. Certain occasions, they would offer up this prayer. And and on this occasion, they would offer up that prayer. Nothing that was really heartfelt. Again, just something that they had written down and memorized, They also felt that the longer you prayed would guarantee the effectiveness of your prayers. That is why Jesus said in Mark's gospel, the 12th chapter, for appearance, these religious leaders make long prayers thinking that they will be heard for their many words. But worst of all, the religious leaders, when they prayed, they weren't praying to be heard by God, but rather they were praying to be seen and heard by men. Jesus had said in another gospel account, these religious leaders would pray at nine, they would pray at 12, they would pray at three, and when they would make their way to the synagogue, there were times when they would stop on the street, a major interchange, an intersection, and they would lift up their hands, and they would begin to pray out loud, and a crowd would begin to gather around them as they were praying, marveling at their demonstration of holiness. And look at the articulate way in which they pray. And boy, these guys can't even wait to get to the synagogue. They are so righteous. They're praying on the street corner. Jesus said they have their reward. It's nothing but a show. It's a veneer. It's fake. The Pharisee in this prayer within the parable, notice that he begins to compare himself with other people. Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else. I'm so righteous. Everybody else isn't, and that's obvious. I'm not like tax collectors. In fact, there's a tax collector now. I'm so glad I'm not like this guy in the prayer meeting, Lord. But could you imagine the height of arrogance thinking that you were righteous in the sight of God because of your comparison to other people. Friend, do not do that. The Bible says that those that compare themselves among themselves, judging themselves by themselves are unwise. You could find somebody, you could find somebody to compare yourself to in your self-righteousness and say, well, I'm definitely not as far down as that guy. I think I'm a little bit higher up on the spiritual ladder. You wanna compare yourself to somebody? Compare yourself to Jesus and see where you are. We are all equal at the foot of the cross and our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. It profits nothing in his sight. But then he also parades his practices before the Lord. I give, I serve, I do this, I fast. Look at all that I do. But notice that it says in the text here, this man prayed with himself. (laughs) That's it. He's praying to himself God's not listening. God's not into that prayer. God's not acknowledging this man's self-righteousness, his pompous attitude, his parade of of all of his accomplishments and practices that he brought before the Lord. He was not impressed with that. This man's prayers were predicated upon his own self-righteousness. He assumed that because of all the things that he had done outwardly, that somehow this would equal a blessing for him. You ever been that way, friend? You ever had that mentality? Okay, I've read my Bible every week in devotions. And I'm talking chapters, people. (laughs) I attended the prayer meeting, and I even prayed twice. And I had some people saying, "Mm, yes, amen. I mean, it was anointed. I went to church Tuesday night for the men's study. I went Wednesday night for the midweek study. I went Thursday night for the one step just to support those that were there. Couldn't go to the women's study, but I was at home praying for it. I went Saturday night and served. And then I went Sunday morning. All three services. I was there. It's not like I'm talking about myself, but I'm not. But have you ever had that where you thought, surely there was a blessing coming my way? I'm anticipating it. Pour it out, God, look at what I've done. And no blessing came. But then you have those days when you're in the flesh and you're not walking in the spirit and then God blesses you. What does that do? Well, for one thing, it humbles you and it makes you realize the blessings of God are not based upon your performance. God doesn't bless you because you are so great. God blesses you and me because he is so gracious and he is so good. What a dangerous thing it is to walk in pride, to falsely assume that we have it together, to think that because of the power of our prayer life or the consistency of our church attendance or our devotional life that is so deep or our witnessing techniques or our apologetic prowess that this is why God works in our lives. A person who walks in pride will receive nothing from the Lord. Pride is blinding, it is destructive, and the devil is what he is because of pride. That is why I believe the Bible says it's one thing that God hates, (laughs) and that is pride. The Lord reminded the nation of Israel of this fact concerning why he loved them and why he blessed them. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were least of all peoples. And then he said, it was because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep his oath, with which he swore to your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. He redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That is why he blesses, because he loves you not because I'm deserving of it, not because I am worthy of it, but because he's good and because he is gracious and he gives to me what I do not deserve. Jesus then contrasts this pious Pharisee with the tax collector. In verse 13, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes toward heaven, but he beat upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector was really the antithesis of the Pharisee. They were polar opposites in every way. For the Pharisee in that society was considered to be the most righteous person that you could know. And the tax collector, on the other hand, was the most wicked person that you knew, and you would never associate with them. Tax collectors were hated by their fellow countrymen. They were called beasts in human shape and licensed robbers. The nation of Israel being under Roman rule, they were taxed severely. And the Romans would collect taxes through what was known as tax farming. That is, they would assess a particular district, and based upon their findings, they would sell the rights to collect taxes to the highest bidder. It would be like the equivalent of purchasing some franchise. And once you secured a district, you would then be required to collect so much by the end of the year. And whatever you collected above and beyond that was yours to keep. This presented an opportunity for extortion on the part of the tax collectors. It fostered exploitation, and there's really nothing you could do about it. If you sought to protest, you could be punished. And therefore, the tax collectors became professional extortionists, and they were hated by all. They were treated as outcasts in their society, and they were excommunicated from religious services and attending the synagogue. I've often wondered when Jesus told this parable, I wonder what Matthew was thinking, the former tax collector, as Jesus told this parable. But it says here that this tax collector, when he prayed, he stood afar off. He did not feel worthy to even be there. Secondly, it says he did not even look up. He didn't feel worthy to even raise his head toward heaven. It, basically, it's a, it's a posture. It's a position of total penitence and humility. I don't even feel worthy to lift up my eyes toward you, God. And I also find that he was very honest in his prayer with the Lord. He had nothing to parade except the fact that he was a sinner. And he asked God to give him what he did not deserve. And what was that? Mercy. Mercy. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man is broken. He is contrite. He is humble. He is honest. And he knew that he was undeserving. And I believe that this is the way that we are to approach the Lord as well. I know that on my best day, I am not worthy of the least of the blessings that God gives me. If God were to give me what I deserve... I only deserve hell. God doesn't give me what I deserve. He hasn't given you what you deserve. I am unworthy, Lord, of what you provide. Sometimes you feel like Peter. You remember Peter, after Jesus had orchestrated that miracle where they caught all of those fish and their their nets were breaking. And right after that, Peter, in his boat, that he let Jesus borrow and that he was reluctant to even go out initially and even fish because they'd fished all night and caught nothing. Are you kidding me? You're a carpenter. Let's call it a day. And when they caught all those fish, you remember, he, he, in his boat, he got on his face and he said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. It's a humility. It's the same kind of humility that, that Isaiah had in Isaiah 6 when he looked up and he had been pronouncing woes on all the people for their sin. And finally he looks up and he sees the Lord in this, in this glimpse of his glory. And, and he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I need to be purified. I'm not worthy. And this is the representative of God declaring this fact. What Jesus said next in this parable probably would have shocked everyone that was listening. For he said, I tell you, verse 14, this man, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. And why is that? Because it says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector and not the Pharisee went down to his home justified, forgiven. The word justified is such a marvelous word in scripture. The best way to remember it is just as if you've never sinned. God has forgiven me of all of my sin, and he chooses to forget it. To take my sin and to place it as far as the east is from the West, never to be brought back up again. And when I stand before the Lord, I won't be judged for my sins because my sins were judged on Calvary's cross by Jesus. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am new. This man came humbly and he went away justified. The Pharisee just went away. Never underestimate the importance of humility and walking in humility before God. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself. The person who has had a true encounter with the living God seeks to walk humbly with God. You remember Daniel said that those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Jesus modeled for us what it was to be a humble servant, didn't he? You remember, Jesus said unto his disciples, he invited them and he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am proud and arrogant. No. He said, I am meek and I am lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. When? When you walk in humility. Paul in writing to the Philippians wrote about the humility of Jesus in his condescension, that is his incarnation coming to this earth. And he said that Jesus humbled himself and he became a bondservant and he became a servant even to the point of death, a death on the cross. And God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. It is much better to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord than to be humbled by the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of being humbled by God. I have, and I don't like that. I would much rather (laughs) acknowledge who God is, and I know who I am, and therefore, I want to humble myself in his sight rather than be humbled by him. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Friend, let me ask you something. Are you walking in pride today? Has your pride been hurt? Are you upset? Is it an indication that you're walking in pride? Let me tell you something. If you are, it's hindering your prayer life. This man was clothed in pride. And what did he do? He prayed with himself. If you're walking in pride today, or if there's some area where you need to humble yourself, can I encourage you today? Do it. (laughs) Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. As Jesus said, he who humbles himself will be exalted. When we pray, it's important that we persevere, that we do not lose heart. When we pray, it is important that we pray in faith, trusting, believing that what God has said, he will do. And when we pray, we come with a spirit and an attitude of humility, and God honors that, and God will answer those requests. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is taking hold of God's highest willingness. That's what it is, taking hold of God's willingness. God is not reluctant to hear from you. God desires prayer not simply to be a monologue where you rattle off everything and then just walk out. God wants prayer to be a dialogue. And I would encourage you as a believer to cultivate an atmosphere of prayer. And by that, I mean, when the Bible says pray without ceasing, It means just be in constant communication with the Lord throughout the day. Oh, you have those private times when you're alone with the Lord and you're you're praying. But you know when you get in your car and you head off to work, you can be praying. When you're at the office, you can be praying. On your way home, you can be praying. It's like having the phone off the hook and never hanging it up. Just in constant communication with the Savior. Little prayers, long prayers, quick prayers. He hears it all. Encourage
1: you. do that. May God make us a people of prayer. Well, Pastor John Randall is leading us through the Bible right now on A Daily Walk, and I'd imagine some of you would like to hear this message from Luke again. Maybe you joined us late. Go online to adailywalk.org and have a listen when it's most convenient, or request a CD copy for a cost of just $5. You can reach us toll-free at 877-242- 0828. That's eight seven seven two four two zero eight two eight. 242 828 Another way to listen to Pastor John's teachings is through our mobile app. It's free and even available on Apple TV. Do a search for Calvary South OC. And we have a podcast too, available wherever you get your podcasts. What well, we're super excited about this month's offer, it's a book from our friend in the ministry, Barry Stagner, titled, The Time of the Signs. In it, Barry explores the events that will precede Christ's return. And he answers common questions like, Why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? We're making it available to our A Daily Walk listeners for the cost of $12. Again, you can order online at adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And by the way, anything given above that amount will be put to good use and help people all over the world grow in their daily walk as they listen to these daily studies. In some cases, actually enter into a relationship with Christ. Again, you can donate online safely and securely at adailywalk.org. You know, we often say it around here at A Daily Walk because it's true. We want to hear from you. It lets us know where the ministry is having an impact. And also, we love praying for our listeners. Write to Pastor John by email today at a at gmail.com. That's a at gmail.com. Well, our time together sure goes by quickly, doesn't it? We'll pick up where we left off in our Through the Bible study next time. This has been A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, where you'll never have to walk alone. This program is made possible through your generosity and brought to you by Calvary South O.C.,